Hello, this is Mrs Usher and I'm going to read chapter 29, Mousetrap's War Dance. Mousetrap springs straight up into the air. His back is arched, his limbs stiff and reaching. When he lands, his body begins flowing smoothly in and out of intricate knots. He darts back and forth, halting abruptly to stare at Smear before continuing with complicated sequences of leaps and backflips. His fur shines, sometimes coppery, sometimes rust red or burnished gold with the reflections of Smear's flames. Smear's heads sway as they track Mousetrap's movements and his flames subside. Mousetrap somersaults, twists, cartwheels and performs handsprings and Smear becomes hypnotised. My own thoughts drift away. There's no rhythm to Mousetrap's movements but I can't take my eyes off him and as I watch I'm overcome with a heavy sleepiness that weighs down every muscle of my body. My eyelids droop. Smear sinks to the ground still. The outline of his slowly beating heart is clearly visible in his chest. My eyes pop open again at the sight of it. Eleanor has a clear shot, I whisper. Eleanor lifts her bow, narrows her eyes, aims. I hold my breath. She can't miss. The bowstring twangs and the arrow shoots through the air, straight towards Smear's heart. My jaw drops open. Hope fizzes on my tongue. Time slows. I blink fast and realise it's the arrow that's slowed, not time. The arrow comes to a complete stop a few inches from Smear's heart. The shaft burns away, leaving only the head, which just hovers in the flames like it doesn't have the power to go on. Smear's flames brighten as he wakes from his trance. His one good eye glances down at the arrowhead embedded in his chest, not quite deep enough to have pierced his heart. He claws at it and roars in anger, but the arrowhead doesn't shift. Writhing in frustration, Smear lifts all three of his heads and blasts fire up into the dark sky with the scream and boom of fireworks. The branches of the lime tree high above crack as they catch a light. A few of them fall to the ground amid a shower of sparks. Yuri stumbles backwards and whines. Retreat to the ship, I shout, as another branch smashes right in front of Yuri's hooves, but Yuri's galloping away already. Elena holding tight to his neck. I step over... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. I step over the sizzling, smoking branch and try to spot Mousetrap. He's poised on two legs, staring at the arrowhead embedded in Smear's chest. Mousetrap, I shout, but he leaps straight towards the dazzling triangular rock. Mousetrap's teeth sparkle, his lips curl back, and he looks more ferocious than a hissing wolverine. He extends his paws to land on the arrowhead, but Smear whips around and all of a sudden there's a fiery mouth loaded with long blue-green fangs yawning open right in front of Mousetrap. No! I sprint into the blistering heat and lunge for Mousetrap, but Smear's mouth snaps shut over him and smiles, a flickering grin. Mousetrap disappears into flames. Anger explodes through me. I glare into Smear's luminous body until I see the arrowhead glinting blue-white like a faraway star. Then I surge towards it, through searing fire, until I feel its cold tremble against my hand. I push, forcing the arrow deeper, closer to Smear's heart. But the more I push, the more it resists. Flames curl around me and I smell my fur burning. Smear roars so loud that my eardrums shatter. I close my eyes, open my mouth and roar back. The world seems to still in shock, except the arrowhead. It slips just a fraction deeper. I lean into it and shove once more. Every muscle of my body strains tight and the flat end of the arrow digs painfully into my head. Until finally, 
the tip of the arrow touches Smear's heart, and then there's an explosion of white. I gasp as the air drops to below freezing in an instant. Icy winds gust around me, extinguishing my burning fur and snow swirls, blinding white. I squint and make out Smear's three heads, his pointed fangs and forked tongues, all turning to ice and snow. He stares at me, and his five dark eyes and one flaming bright one all fade into the twinkling white. Where he burned with anger, he's now cool and calm as a midwinter night. He sways in the air, a cloud of snowflakes dancing, then breaks apart and drifts away, like chimney smoke into the night. Smear is gone, but I feel no joy. All I can think about is Mousetrap. I call for him, search the ground and sniff the air, desperate to catch the scent of dust and earthy musk. The lime tree crackles above. Some of its branches are still aflame, raining down hot, incandescent sparks. Help! A deep and ancient voice creaks overhead. But I have to find Mousetrap. Panic hurtles through me because I can't see or smell him anywhere. All around is snow and ash, ice and soot, a confusion of hot and cold and black and white. Then Ivan barks down from somewhere behind me. Yanka, over here, it's Mousetrap. I run to where I heard Ivan's voice and see Mousetrap's tiny body curled up in a mound of snow. I race over and nudge him with my snout. He's as cold as ice and his fur is as white as the snow around him. <clears throat> Only the tip of his tail still shines copper. Mousetrap, I nudge him again and relief washes over me when I feel him shiver. Wake up, you've got your winter coat. Mousetrap groans, opens one eye and looks up at me. What did you think of my war dance? It was the best I've ever seen, I smile. Ivan collapses next to Mousetrap. His fur is charred, his muscles trembling, but there's a wide grin on his face. We defeated Smear. He lifts his chin and howls at the moon, long and loud and triumphant. I look through the subsiding swells of debris in the air, to the dark and empty cavern, and slowly our victory sinks in. A laugh rumbles in my throat and bellows out of me. We defeated Smear together. Help, the voice calls again. It seems to be coming from the lime tree above the cavern. It's the tree. I stare at it in wonder. It's talking. Mousetrap groans again as he tries to stand. I think I've pulled a few muscles. I'll take Mousetrap back to the house with chicken legs. Ivan dips his head so Mousetrap can drag himself up onto Ivan's ear. Unless you want us to stay with you while you talk to the tree. I shake my head. Please take Mousetrap back so Alina can check you're both all right. I look up into the boughs of the lime tree and my feet twitch with nervous excitement. I wonder what will be different when I see Ivan and Mousetrap again. Will all my worries about Sasha be gone? Will I be human again? Will I finally be able to go home? I take a deep breath to calm my thoughts and then I turn and clamber up and over the cavern. As I approach the tree, I hear its voice again, deep and resonant. Help, it groans. A smouldering branch creaks and crackles, then snaps, and the tree cries out in pain. I step over roots that sprawl across the ground and finally reach the lime tree's trunk. The size of it is astonishing. It's made of hundreds of smaller trunks, woven and tangled together. They spread wider than my house, and when I look up, the tree seems to go on forever. Hello, I whisper. Help, the tree groans again. I can't see where the words are coming from. The trunks creak, the roots whisper, and the leaves high above rustle and hum. But the words form in my mind. How can I help, I ask. Move me, the tree rumbles. Move me away from this place, into the forest. But I stare at the tree, feeling tiny as a wren. I can't. You're too big. The roots at my feet slither. 
I looked down and watched as if in a dream, and they turned to water and flow away down the side of the volcano. A burst of noise and movement shakes the air, and I look up to see a bellowing of bullfinches taking flight, pink chests blushing in the moonlight. Yanker, they call as they flap away. Home, in the forest. As they disappear into the night, I realise many of the tree's branches are no longer there. The whole tree is shrinking. What's going on, I gasp, as streams of water rise and rush around my ankles. My roots will flow back to me, and my branches will fly back to me, but you must carry the core of my trunk to the forest, where I can be near other trees again, and watch animals play and hear birds chatter. The tree has now shrunk to a fraction of its size, but it's still twice as tall as me, and at least as wide. I'll try. I tense my muscles and step next to the trunk, but when I try to lift it, it doesn't budge. It feels like some of your roots are still holding you down. The tree shakes what's left of its leaves. All my roots have flowed away. I'm as small as I can be. You must try harder. I furrow my brow and try to lift the tree again. I remind myself I'm a bear and I try again and again, but it's far too heavy. I can't even push it over and roll it down the mountain. I lean against the trunk to catch my breath. Move me, the tree urges. I've been trying to, I wheeze. Give me a moment to rest then I'll try again. I stare down the volcano to the ship in the distance. It bobs up and down on silver waves, a spray of stars above it. The house with chicken legs sits on its deck and I can just make out the silhouettes of my friends on its porch. The sight of them fills me with strength. Let's try again. I rise back on my paws then stop as something, someone, catches my eye. It's another bear stepping out from a cluster of pines near the base of the volcano. A huge male bear. He moves slowly towards me and my heart pounds louder with every step he takes. Something about the way he moves is achingly familiar, but I don't know him. I couldn't know him. Could I? He draws closer and I stare at his huge round face. My heart swells. His, he has ice in his fur and moonlit eyes. He smells faintly of tea with lemon, fresh snow, wood smoke and old furs. And Natalie, I whisper, you're a pair? I laugh at the absurdity of it, but then gasp as my heart rips in two because I realise what else he is. You're my father. I glare at him with burning eyes, the heat of a fire dragon rising inside me. Why didn't you tell me? I'm sorry. Despite his enormous size, Anatoly looks small and defeated and full of sorrow. There's so much I should have told you, but each time I visited, stories were the only things that would flow from my lips. All these years, I roar, all these years you never told me. You let me believe my father was dead. I scowl at him. But you were alive. You abandoned me. You let me be raised by my grandmother, then by Mamoshka, by anyone else but you. Anger tears through me. Being abandoned as a baby because your parents are dead is one thing. But being abandoned because your father can't be bothered to raise you himself for twelve whole years is something else. I stamp a paw into the ground and roar into the night sky until my lungs are sore. When I run out of breath, I collapse against the tree and look up at Anatoly, willing him to say something, anything that will help me forgive him. But he sits down and is silent for so long that I begin to hear the tiny noises around us, the rustle of the lime tree's leaves, the hiss of steam on the hot rocks, and even Anatoly's heartbeat, deep and booming in his chest. Then finally, he opens his mouth and begins, as he always does, with Once Upon a Time. The Widower's Frozen Heart Once upon a time, a widower, widower blamed himself for his wife's death. 
Crushed by guilt and feeling unworthy of love, he could not face his baby daughter. He followed the cold winds north in a daze and found himself standing on the shores of the green bay, unable to cry because anger and shame writhed inside him, hotter than dragon fire. Out on the frozen sea, the widower saw a sailing ship trapped in ice. Thinking it might cool his burning pain, he walked across the ice to the frozen ship and there he found Father Frost sitting on the bow. Father Frost turned and saw the suffering in the widower's eyes. Tell me, he said, what has caused you so much pain? My wife has died and it's all my fault. She came to rescue me and in doing so she lost her life. The widower fell to his knees and clutched at his heart. The pain is too great to endure. I can't take away your pain if that's what you want. I can't, sorry, I can take away your pain if that's what you want. Father Frost lifted his head, hand over the widower's chest and his fingers glowed a dazzling white. A frozen heart feels no pain. The widower looked into Father Frost's ice blue eyes and nodded. At that moment, he'd have done anything to escape the agony that was tearing him apart. So Father Frost pressed his hand into the widower's chest, and the widower gasped as his heart froze over. With each stiff heartbeat, ice filled his veins, and a numbness fell over him. The widower looked up into the grey sky, and his face became hard and cold as an iceberg. His pain was gone, but it was muffled and distant, as it buried beneath a great snowdrift. The widower wandered back to the forest and found his baby daughter laughing as she rolled and played in sunbeams. And at the sight of his daughter, so full of love and joy, his heart began to melt. A sharp pain tore through the widow's chest. His grief and guilt flooded back, and he could not bear the pain. So he left his daughter playing happily under the watchful gaze of her grandmother, the bear Serena, and ran deep into the forest. There the widower lived alone, avoiding anything that might melt his heart and bring back the pain. He foraged alone, hunted alone, and fished alone. He watched the sky and the seasons change alone. But he didn't forget his daughter and soon found himself watching her once more. His heart ached and burned and ruptured, but he endured the pain for as long as he could, and the next day he endured it a little longer. Every day the widower watches his daughter from the shadows, and his heart is melting drip by drop as he builds up the courage to talk to her. <laughs>